You're tuned into 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. My name is Tesla Munson, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where I speak with UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I am joined by Hillary Jacks in the physics department. And uh, you're a fourth year, is that right, Hillary? Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so just before we even start anything, what kind of physics do you study? I do experimental condensed matter. So are there like branches of physics here at Berkeley and does that fit into one of them? Or? Absolutely. That That is one of the branches of physics. Yeah. So what are some of the other ones just so we can orient ourselves? Sure. So um, the, I'd say the two main branches are experiment and theory. And um, so for each kind of field, there tends to be an experimental side and a uh, theoretical side. Uh, physics didn't used to always be like that, um, but my guess is for at least around 100 years, it's kind of been separate. Where, So for example, if you work in particle physics, you either are a particle theorist or a particle experimentalist, and uh, they talk to each other. Okay. And then so we'll break down the other part of that. What is condensed matter? Sure. Condensed matter traditionally is the theory, or maybe not theory, but the study of solids. There is something called soft condensed matter, um, which some of what I do kind of falls into that, which kind of includes liquids or things in between solid and liquid. Okay. So you're studying experiments on solid ob objects. I do experiments on solid you do, objects. You do experiments yes. on solid yes. objects. Okay. Yeah. Are they large or small? Or? They're very small. Um, the solid objects that I make are... Um, I work in thin films in particular. So at the atomic scale, they're still uh, three-dimensional, but kind of on more our scale, they're more two-dimensional. Just because they're so small? Yeah, yeah. So they're maybe, I don't know, 300 nanometers thick um, to give context. Um, so so 3,000 angstroms thick, and an atom is about an angstrom so like 3,000 atoms. Yeah, is that, thick. Is yeah. that like a piece of paper? or Th That is thinner than a piece of okay, paper. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe. I haven't measured a piece of paper. But but it should be. I mean, that's a that's a good that's a good first first step at, at, I think, kind of visualizing what's going on. And then the, the area, they're probably at most maybe a centimeter squared. Oh, okay. Okay, so small. Yes. Small. small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But lots of atoms still. So, so enough. Okay. Awesome. Okay, so before Adams, there there was a beginning. How did you how did you end up at UC Berkeley? I know you had a pretty interesting path as far as graduate students go. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty non-traditional. So I always loved art. Um, I did art as a kid, and um, in middle school, I was part of a magnet program at the local public middle school, and I uh, started out in photography. Uh, for two years. Then I moved into fine art and I went to a fabulous fine arts high school. This is all in Miami, where I'm from. Um, so I was pretty much brought up on being an artist and developing as a person in the context of developing as an artist. Um, I did art at school for at least three hours a day and then went home and, and did more all of the time. Um, so after that, kind of the the go-to track was to go and get a BFA, which is a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. Um, so I did that at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and uh, quit three years through for various reasons and uh, went back to Miami to live. I, uh, I, I 
moved to South Beach and I waitressed and got a lot of partying out of my system, uh, which I think was really good for me, actually. And then I went and started doing science at the University of Miami, kind of the local university. And somebody told me that I could possibly be a pharmacist, that that was a really steady job. And uh, it's pretty easy to do. So that's what got me started taking science classes, actually. Uh, I didn't really have any interest in it before that. I was always kind of good at it, but I didn't really care, to be frank. So I quickly realized that I could probably or probably wanted something more creative than pharmacy. And so I um, was on a pre-veterinary track. So I was a bio major and a chem minor, and I worked at a um, vet hospital, which is, I have some very dear memories that go along with that. And um, I had to take a physics class as a requirement. And even though I thought I was really terrible at calculus, my calculus teacher told me that I was actually really great at calculus and that I should take calculus-based physics because calculus was invented for physics. And if I took physics without calculus, it wouldn't make sense to me. And she knew that that would drive me up a wall. So I took calc-based physics and fell in love and added on a physics major and a math minor. And here I am. Applied to graduate schools only in California. Only in California. Do What's the reasoning behind that? Um, I did not want to go back to the Northeast. Being from Miami, uh, the snow, it just, you know, it hurts your face to be outside nine months out of the year. I, I'm not okay with that. There are enough good physics schools out here, too, that I figured I really wasn't sacrificing anything. Yeah, you must be a little bit like me, too, where you won't kind of want to be near water. Yes, very important to me. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, so you went all the way from fine arts to physics. It's a pretty long journey, but obviously a little bit related because you made it. So, um, And you said you wanted something creative. And uh, you told me a little bit about your work earlier. You you said it was sort of fringe. So uh, before I guess before we get into that, did you do any... Like, what were some of your undergraduate science experiences? Did you work in a lab, or did, what did you do there? Sure. When I was focused more on biology, um, I was actually really invested in botany. And so I, I did a few experiments um, kind of at the University Arboretum. We did some some mass spectroscopy on some of the plants to kind of see what some of their light cycles were like and how, how they differed. Um, amongst one particular genus, so that so that was really fun, and I still I still really adore plants, so I did some of that work. Um, but in physics, I did some theory. Though theory these days tends to be mostly particle theory, um, I did a theoretical statistical optics. So that was work on the theory the theory of disordered light. It's kind of a way of describing it. Um, so the light that comes from the sun is is something that we would call maybe perfectly disordered. If, if there is such a thing. And that's compared to maybe the light from a laser, which is one particular type of light, and it's very organized. Um, so I did theory on not just light from the sun, but, but once the light from the sun passes through the atmosphere, it does gain some, some more order, so, so to speak. So I kind of did theory on the light that we see every day, light that passes through clouds, how the disorder changes um, when light passes through other disordered materials like clouds or even skin. So what makes sunlight, as you said, perfectly disordered? What, what, what properties, like in the, in the most general terms? Sure. So it's, 
it's not polarized, so it doesn't have um, it, it doesn't have a particular kind of direction. By direction, I don't mean direction that it's traveling, but I, the light itself doesn't have any kind of orientation. Uh, without doing drawings, this is kind of difficult. Um, and it's also incoherent, so that means that the wavelengths aren't lined up. But then, but you said it's still perfect. What? Uh, perfectly disordered. We we think of it like that. That was language that I used as an undergrad. In any case, um, so there's there's degrees of of disorder, and so that was that was kind of one extreme that I was using to indicate that's and and on the other extreme is really is a laser. So okay. yeah, by perfectly disordered, I think I just mean extremely disordered. Very cool. Okay, and then. Uh... And is that related at all to your work now? I think it is. Um, they're mostly in the way that I conceptualize things and in the way that I visualize things. I think that what I did as an undergrad really helped my brain kind of wrap wrap around some some ideas of disorder that I use. The theories don't really play into each other. Every now and then there's like a, a hint of something that I do that I do now that reminds me of a theory that I touched on as an undergrad but mostly the the language is is very different but the way I conceptualize them are they're similar yeah if you're just tuning in, you're listening to 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. My name is Tesla Munson, and this is The Graduates. Today, I'm speaking with physicist Hillary Jacks, who's telling us about her route from Miami to Berkeley, uh, from art to physics, and uh, from optics to experimental condensed matter, which uh, solids. Okay, so let's go back to that uh, a little more. You said it's small, this uh, thin plate. Thin films. Thin films. So how do you do experiments on this type of stuff if it's so small for one? Sure. Um, so our, our lab is really cool in that we both grow these thin films. Um, grow is a verb I can describe more later if you like. Um, but, but we make these thin films and then we characterize them. So there's there's kind of a two-pronged approach to any question that we have. It's like, can we make it? How do we make it? And then how do we describe what we've made? And we do both in the lab. So, okay, does that mean you don't know what you're going to get when you make it? Yes, that that is true. So most most condensed matter, um, and this is why what I do is kind of fringe, most condensed matter is concerned with crystals or things that are similar to crystals. So crystals that have a little bit of, of disorder. So it's things called defects. Um, and a crystal is a material where all of the atoms are arranged in a very particular pattern. And the idea there is that if you know where one atom is in a perfect crystal and you know the distance and the orientation to the other atoms, then you know where all of the atoms are in the system. And condensed matter physicists are mostly concerned with crystals, in my opinion, because you can do math on them fairly easily because you know where all of these atoms are. And so they're, they're tractable in that sense. My work in particular is concerned with things that aren't this. And so it's true that any condensed matter experimentalist, when they, when they grow a material, whether they're trying to grow something crystalline or amorphous, amorphous is another word for disordered, they don't know what they're going to get. But most of the time, people are hoping for a crystal, and there are certain growth conditions that they can use where they're they're pretty sure they're getting a crystal and you can make measurements afterward to make sure that you are getting them. But my not knowing what I'm going to get, I think 
is is more than that because I'm looking in particular at different types of disorder and that's relatively unexplored. Um, it's the the conditions that you need for different types of disorder, whatever that means. Right? That's not not even really well defined currently. The conditions that you need are materials dependent, so it depends on what you're growing, and then also there's a question of repeatability. So if I am growing um, a disordered atomic system and I grow four four of them the same way, there's no guarantee that they're even the same disordered in the same way. And so I, I really don't know what I'm getting. <laughs> so have you made progress on that front, or is it still a, a mystery every time? Yeah, yeah, no, we've made some progress um, in, in what we call kind of mapping out the phase space is the language around that. And the phase space is just the, the space of all of the, the parameters that you can change. So things like the substrate temperature of, of what you're growing your material on as you grow it. Um, the rate of deposition, so how quickly the atoms lay down on top of each other, the kinetic energy that those atoms approach the substrate with. Th- these things, yes, yes, we've, we've made some progress in mapping out the phase space. We have some ideas about what gets us what. So for people like me and probably like many, many people who just don't know very much about physics, what is what should the public take away from this? What is the applicability to things we can understand? Sure. So I'm working mostly with silicon. For me, so, so I, I think there are two answers to that. One is, one is an answer that I'm really mostly interested in, which is kind of more, this is interesting because our brains usually are very bad at processing disorder, right? Our brains look for order in things. And if I showed you three pictures of these disordered atoms that I grow that physically are different types of disorder, and you looked at them, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And so there's something mysterious there. There's something that exists that our brains can't get at very easily. And I think my work is trying to elucidate some of that. And so so I love that. I think another application is um, is kind of particular to silicon. So silicon is a semiconductor, and silicon is in pretty much all of the electronics that we that we use, cell phones, computers, whatnot. And a lot of these circuits, the way they're built, is they're they're built by growing silicon thin films, and that silicon is almost always amorphous or disordered. So largely, people in the past have just said, oh, we're growing disordered silicon. It's all the same. It's all disordered. And there are these variations in properties that we see. So so there are, there are electronic properties that change in these different types of disorders. But if you're clumping all the disorder together as the same thing, then you can't really handle those properties. You can't control them. Um, but if we can kind of do a better job at parsing the types of disorder, then, then yeah, I think we can harness these properties and, and put them to use. For, for electronics and photovoltaics, I'd say, are probably the main application. So, so solar cells. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that gets into a whole other dimension, huh? Solar cells. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really more kind of at the, at the, the fundamental level, right, in, in terms of, like, looking at the, the atoms. And, and I don't look too much at... Uh, at kind of downstream in terms of how industry produces them, how cheap they are to produce, how um, I do know a little bit about how long they last. Um, no, that's a re- that's really cool. 
so I know you're also involved with outreach here on campus, and I was hoping we could hear a little bit about that. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm heavily involved with a group called the Compass Project. The Compass Project is really cool for a lot of reasons, but to me, what's really important about it is that it's all student-run. It was student-founded in 2006 um, by a group of graduate students in the physics department, though um, we do include um, other physical sciences. And um, so we're concerned with making the community more accepting of diversity. Physics is notoriously bad for being uh, homogenous homogenous both in in terms of demographic. So you have like middle to upper class white men. Um, it's kind of the, the standard physicist. And I hear all the time, oh, you don't look like a physicist. And that's because I feel like I, I don't look like a, an upper middle class white man. Um, Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've actually said this on the show multiple times where we've had like a reveal. You are not talking to an old white man. <laughs> so I'm glad I can add this to the list. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't look like that. I probably do look more like an artist. I'd like to think that anyway. Uh, so so yeah, so Compass uses kind of cutting edge alternative pedagogical approaches um, to learning science that focus on forming community that is inclusive, um, not just accepting of diversity, but really valuing diversity, saying, hey, you have this background, you have this perspective that is bringing something new to the table, and I value that. So we, what do we do? We, we do a lot of things. Um, we're pretty busy, but we run classes. So we have uh, two classes for uh, freshmen and sophomores. We run a transfer course. So that's particularly geared towards students who are mostly coming from community colleges in their junior year. So, so they face kind of a different set of challenges. And they come in here and they, they often have a different background than somebody who just kind of came straight from high school and, is, you know, spends their four years here. We also do, I'd say our flagship program is really, a, it's a summer program. It's two weeks um, before freshmen start their traditional courses here. And we focus on a project. So, for example, I think last last summer the, the topic was what can light tell us about matter? And so we select 20 students, about 20 students. Um, it's all expenses paid. Uh, we raise that money also. So Compass is really all kind of yeah, we, we get a lot of help for sure. I don't I don't mean to imply that we do it all on our own, but but it is all graduate uh, graduate and undergraduate student run. And um, so these students engage in, in kind of a community learning classroom for ev every day except for the weekends for two weeks. And then in the evenings they do other community building activities. And the idea there is that they're forming a community kind of before they enter into the, uh, the usual like undergrad rat race that my understanding is here, often the competition is, is fairly unhealthy, and it tends to affect uh, people from diverse backgrounds more. Man, oh, so yeah, it does sound like you guys do a lot of things. Uh, how many graduate and undergraduate students did you say are involved in like keeping it going and running Compass? Uh, there's, there are kind of various levels. I'd say at the, at the center core, um, so we're particularly non-hierarchical. 
we use consensus-based decision-making, and, and we call ourselves a duocracy. So if you show up to a meeting, your opinion counts just as much as anybody who's who's been there for, for three years. So our numbers fluctuate, I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's no fixed number. Uh, there's probably about four or five of four or five graduate students right now kind of at the core. And, and that, that works out really well because our schedules vary. Like I might have a week or two where I really need to be in lab and, and getting stuff done. And I can say, you know, hey, John or Jesse, you know, can, can, you, can you handle this now? And we kind of keep, we keep each other in the loop. And that's, that's been a really good model for getting things done and not pressuring a particular person too much. Um, we would like more people. Um, I'd say we're probably a little bit low on numbers now relative to the programs that we run. But yeah, four or five in the core and kind of moving out from there, I'd say there's probably 10 or 15 more grads and undergrads that are that are kind of involved a little bit more peripherally. And how long has the program been active? Uh, it was founded in 2006. 2000. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So that's a, that sounds like a really great program. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, what more can I say? So you've got a lot of diversity in the, would you say there's a lot of, of diversity in the physics undergraduate population here? Yes. That's great. Yeah, I would say that, definitely. Yeah, both, both again, in demographic and in background. I really like to, I think it's probably my background as an artist where I, I really emphasize that kind of broader view of diversity. I don't think it's just about being African-American or being gay or, or whatever, you know, whatever background it is. I, I really think diversity is about, to me, it's about perspective. Um, and demographics can contribute to that perspective, um, but other things can too. So what, what would you be your advice for students, uh, high school or undergraduates or just students in general who, you know, maybe they don't quite know what they want to do or maybe they know they want to go to graduate school, but it seems too far away? Yeah, gosh, that's really hard. Um, I mean, I think things worked out for me, but I certainly didn't know what I was doing. I will say that I always did things that interested me, and that ended up... I think working out, I mean, there are, there are things that, there are skills that I learned as an artist that I use every day as a physicist that I think are really invaluable. And I think, and the same goes for, for a lot of the skills that I learned when I was more focused on biology. And I really think that if you just keep doing things that interest you, it'll all come together in some way, at least internally, right? It may not be that you have a career that combines all of them. But you, you use things that you learn from the things that interest you. I would also probably say that I think the way society is set up, we place really ridiculous expectations on young people. When you're starting out as a freshman and people ask you what you want to do, it's like, what are you, 17 or 18? I think that's unreasonable. And what would be your advice for undergraduates coming from diverse backgrounds, other than getting involved with Compass, of course? But <laughs> do you have other advice you can give? Yeah, I would say to find a community that supports what you do outside of your major or your schoolwork. It's it's really hard to to have a life outside of schoolwork, especially as an undergraduate. As a graduate student, your schedule is a little bit more flexible and you can kind of make time to do other things. But as an undergraduate, I think making sure you make some time to do things that's not schoolwork that values your own diversity 
Um, and having a community that does that with you, by community, I really mean even if it's just one person. It's like, hey, I know, I know you really like art. Let's go to a show. I think that's really important. And for students who might be interested in applying for this pre-freshman program, where do they look for that application? Oh, sure. Um, well, they can find it on our website. I believe we are berkeleycompassproject.org. Um, or at least you can Google the Berkeley Compass Project and, and find us. Um, yeah, yeah, find the application there. We, uh, we, we go through them every year around. We start accepting applications a little bit after students have heard, have heard back that they are, that they're accepted to Cal. Um, so kind of starting then you can apply and then we, we look at the applications probably for maybe a month or two after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're just about out of time here on the graduates. Do you have any last words for us, Hillary? I would probably add that one way I'd like to see the science culture change, probably nationally, I can say at least, is is I think that the thinking right now is is very homogenous and homogeneity is dangerous. I think we know that logically. But I think there are certain certain things about the science culture that really promote one way of of being, like kind of promote one particular lifestyle over other ones, and uh, one way of thinking about science, and and I think that's dangerous. And and not just because you study disorder, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, not just because I study disorder. I mean, you can see it in ecological systems, right? Yeah. So no, that's great. So. I want to thank you so much, Hillary, uh, for coming on the show today. Thank you. Yeah. So it, you've been listening to The Graduates here on CalEx. My name is Tesla Munson, and today I've been speaking with Hillary Jackson, the Department of Physics. She's been telling us about her path to graduate school and her work in experimental condensed matter and also her work with uh, the Berkeley Compass Project, which promotes diversity and community in physics undergraduates here at Cal. So lots of great work coming from you, Hillary, and thanks again for being here. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. The graduates will be back in two weeks with another episode. But until then, you're listening to 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley.